Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you pretty good at predicting the ending of stories? I congratulate myself when I'm able to predict the ending of a movie we're watching, especially if it's a mystery. Well, sometimes Jesus brings the most unlikely ending to a story. Today we're going to read about how Jesus heals the paralytic man, except why does Jesus seem to feel like that's a good stopping point? Grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, because today's message is entitled, Nice Guys Finish Last. Have you ever been picked last? Perhaps you've seen this dynamic played out on the kickball field. Two team captains pick up their teammates, and they do it one at a time. They always go for the most athletic first, because the captains believe that the most athletic are going to help them win. And with a system like this, there will always be someone who gets picked last. When you're picked last, it means that you're the most undesirable person on the field. Nobody wants you. You're just a leftover. Has this ever happened to you? Now, I had a professor in school who said he always got picked last for everything, and he got tired of it. So one day, he ran out on the playing field, And he ran to that kickball as fast as he could, and he managed to get to it before everyone else. And he held up the ball, and he shouted, Okay, I'm a team captain. Now who's going to be on my team? Now that's certainly one way to do it. However, that still leaves somebody else getting picked last. Well, in the world we live in, there will always be those who are picked last. There's actually a motto that most of us have memorized by heart, and that is that nice guys finish last. If you're nice, people will take advantage of you, and you will never get ahead in life. At least that's what we're told. You'll always be trailing behind. You will be picked last. Well, in today's text, we see an incredible story about a guy who always got picked last. Yet Jesus not only picks him first, he seems to be the only one that Jesus notices. This is an incredible story for us to reflect upon because there are several things that we can learn from this passage. But before we jump into those things, let me first say that every good story has five key elements in it. Um, Every good story has characters, it has a setting, it has a plot, it has a conflict, uh, a conflict of some sort, like something's going on, and then it has a resolution. For example, in the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas, there's the Grinch and the Who's, and the setting is uh, Whoville. The plot uh, was about the Grinch, who, he's a grouch, and he, he hated Christmas while the Jews lived with joy. The conflict was that he got tired uh, he got tired of it, and he, and he tried to steal Christmas from the Who's by taking all their gifts. The resolution from the story comes when the, Go- the Who's showed the Grinch that they did not need gifts to have joy, and that made an impact on him, and so he took all the gifts back. Now, we tell stories for all kinds of reasons. But the best stories, they make an an impact on us. They make a difference in the lives of others. So the story we're going to read today is for anyone and everyone who thinks that their story ends with always getting picked last. And it's my hope that this story uh, will be a great one for you and that it will make a difference in your life. It will make an impact on you. I want to read Mark, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 18. Uh, This is what it says. After these things, talking about uh, Jesus uh, healing the nobleman's son, after these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up from Jerusalem. So there's your plot. 
uh, or sorry, there is your character, there is your setting, and, and just give you a little more setting. In verse 2, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down in certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever then after uh, who was first after stirring up the water stepped in they were made well from whatever disease that they were afflicted by a man who was there who had been ill for 38 years and when jesus saw him laying there he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition and he said to him do you wish to get well the sick man answered him sir i have no man to put i have no man to put me in the in the pool when the water is stirred up but while i am coming another steps down before me and Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was on the Sabbath day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a, cloud, a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, there's interesting things in this story. I just want to point out, uh, first and foremost, that Jesus knows our character, setting, and plot. In other words, Jesus knows our story. In this story, the, the main characters are Jesus, the paralyzed man, and the religious Jews. In verse 2, our author, John, gives us the setting. He says that there's a pool of water surrounding by, surrounded by five awning-type porches called porticos by the Sheep's Gate entering into Jerusalem. Now, the Sheep Gate um, was the gate that all the livestock was brought through that was used in the temple for sacrifices. And I don't know if you spent a lot of time around livestock, but there's typically something that livestock likes to leave behind, uh, and it's filthy, and it smells. Well, because of the filth and the smell, this wasn't somewhere a person wanted to spend a lot of time. And the author John says this place was known in Hebrew as Bethesda, which means house of mercy. However, in the, the Greek and uh, in Aramaic and in the Hebrew, the word mercy can also mean shame or disgrace. So if you think about who was in this place, it was supposed to be a place of mercy but in people's minds, it was very much considered to be a place of shame. It's a place where nobody wanted to end up. So this should have given us a picture of what the setting was like. It smelled bad. There's a lot of sick people around. This is not somewhere that the, the religious typically spent their time. The people who were closest to God in their own minds, you, you don't really go down by the sheep gate. Well, in verse 3, the Apostle John says that there was a multitude of sick, blind, lame, and withered people waiting by the pool of Bethesda. You're going to have to excuse me because I'm going to take some liberty and try to relate this setting to something a little bit more familiar to us. This was a lot like a hospital or a nursing home, if you will. Um, it was a place where nobody wanted to end up but might find themselves abandoned by family due to their infirmity. 
Something interesting to note is that uh, about verse 4 is that it said that in this verse that this isn't the earliest of manuscripts. And for example, in your Bible, you might have brackets around it. It might have a little footnote next to it saying, hey, this wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, it's it's in the King James Version. It's not necessarily in the NIV or New American Standard Bible. And, and so it just kind of really caused you to question, well, did this really happen? Did angels really come and touch the water? Uh, it's kind of strange. Um, however, something interesting to note about verse 4 is that um, in verse 7, the man explains why he's sitting by the pool of water. And so if this wasn't there, it was commonly known. So somebody comes and adds that in later. It helps bring the story clarity. In verse 4, we do see something that can create a huge distraction for us and even take the attention off the main characters in the story. It says that there was an angel who would come down and stir the water in specific seasons, and the first person who jumped into the water after the, after the water was stirred, they were made well. Now, perhaps this was just a story that was circulated to keep people by the well instead of wandering home back to their families. Hey, hey, you got to go over there and watch the water. You know, you never know when it's going to stir up, so keep your eyes on the water. Don't come home. Okay, we want you to stay there. Who knows? God can do whatever he wants, though. If he wanted to make a place special like this where a person gets healed periodically, he can do that. That's God's prerogative. What's important is that these people believed this story and sat around this pool waiting for the water to be stirred. Now, could you imagine how miserable their lives must have been sitting around this water, focusing on it all the time? I mean, just, just imagine how terrible that must have been. Oh, don't distract me. I'm looking at the pool of water. Well, in verse 5, John tells us that there was a man who laid next to this pool for 38 years, fervently watching that water, trying to be the first one in to be healed. And again, we don't know much about this man other than he laid there for 38 years. We don't know uh, if he'd been abandoned by his family. But we do know that this man was pretty much alone. He had nobody to help him in the water. And, and if he did manage to find somebody to try to help him in the water, somebody always stepped in front of him. Now, one of the most incredible truths about Jesus is that he walks into this place. Keep in mind, this is where nobody else really wants to be. Yet Jesus walks into this area. And in verse 6, he tells this man that he knew, or you know, verse 6 says he knew that he, this man had been living there for a long time, that he'd been laying there for 38 years. Jesus knew this man. Even though this man didn't know Jesus, Jesus knew him. He knew who the man was. He knew the place where he was laying. He knew how long he'd been laying there. And you know, Jesus knows the same about you. The same could be said about you. Jesus knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you've been going through. So Jesus asked this man what seems to be like a, a pretty stupid question. Jesus says, hey, do you wish to get well? Now the man could have looked at Jesus and said, no, Jesus, I've just been laying here for 38 years because this is a great place to pick up chicks. Here's your sign. Like, why did Jesus ask him this question? Well, could it be that it's not really a stupid question? Jesus could ask us the same thing. Do you really wish to get well? And you might be asking yourself, well, who is ill that doesn't want to get better? But did you know that, that, that being healed changes things? Our healing comes with the cost. Now that I'm healed, I have some responsibilities. Sometimes that healing is more than we want to pay. Believe it or not, there are many people who don't want to be healed. Their disability has become of their, of a part of their identity. 
Sometimes, like I said, this can help a person flee from responsibility. When I was a kid, I loved being sick because not only did I get to miss school, yeah, my throat hurt, but yeah, I get to stay home from school. My mom would wait on me hand and foot. And I'd say things like, oh, mom, my throat hurts so much. Can I have a popsicle? I think that might make me feel better. Now, keep in mind, Jesus knew this man better than he knew himself. So when Jesus asked this question, it wasn't because he lacked information. Jesus is God. He knows everything. He asked this man, do you really want to be healed? It's a legitimate question because this likely had become a part of this man's identity. Notice that instead of a resounding yes, this man responds with, well, you know, nobody will carry me down to the pool. Here we see a man who was never able to move forward with his life because others were taking advantage of him. This was the guy that essentially got picked last for everything. Now imagine him being picked for a kickball team. Guy can't even move. No, we don't want that guy. He's the guy that gets picked last. Remember how I said that every good story has five elements? The characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the resolution. Well, we get to see the characters, we see the setting, we see the plot, and Jesus knows all these things. But for many people, Jesus seems to ignore the conflict. Now, this is an awesome story if you look at it through the lens of the man whom Jesus healed. Jesus tells the man, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And in verse 9, it says, immediately this man got up, he picked up his pallet, and he walked. Again, it's an awesome story for the man who was healed. But what about the multitudes of people whom Jesus didn't heal? This wasn't the only man sitting by the pool. We do know that this man had no hope of being the first one in the water. So why did Jesus heal this man and not everyone else? Well, to help answer that question, I think we have to look back at just how bizarre this, this healing was. This is one of the most backward stories of healing in the entire book of the Bible. Um, notice that in the next few verses, this guy's actually criticized for carrying his mat around on the Sabbath day. What was that all about? Well, according to God's commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, it's wrong to work on the Sabbath. And Jewish oral tradition stipulated that it was considered to be work if you performed 39 specific activities. And carrying something from one place to the next, that was one of those oral traditions. So in this man's response as to why he's carrying the mat, he reveals something important. He says, he who made me well told me to do this, so that's why I'm doing this. And they ask him, well, yeah, who, who told you to get up and walk? The man didn't even know. And why is this important? It's important because uh, it's one of the few healings in Scripture where being healed, this person was healed, and he didn't even have faith in Christ, much less know who he was. He didn't know who Christ was, much less did he have faith in him. So this should show us something important. This man's healing was an exception, not the rule. In other words, Jesus doesn't heal everyone physically. And this is an uncomfortable truth, but we know it's still truth. Our prayer meetings, uh, we, we have a laundry list uh, of prayers. We constantly have to pray requests for healing, and sometimes God grants our requests, and, and sometimes he doesn't. Most of the time, he doesn't. And it really makes me wonder, you know, God's, God's dishing out healings. Well, God, what about me? I have a condition that I need to be healed from. 
You know, several times I've been dry heaving uncontrollably in front of the toilet with tears in my eyes from the pain. And while I'm, I'm convulsing, I'm praying to myself over and over, God, please make it stop. Please make it stop. But he doesn't stop it. In fact, it doesn't stop until hours later. I'm not miraculously healed. I'm going to have this again. And I could have people to say to me, you know what, there is no God. If there was a God, why aren't you healed? And I'm sure others could criticize me and say something, you know what, you'd be healed if you had more faith. But listen, this was a man who didn't even know who Jesus was, much less did he have faith in him. Jesus healed this man. This man just wanted to get better. This story should show us something very important about God, and that is that God often brings an unexpected resolution to our conflict. In verse 14, it says that Jesus found this man in the temple. Now, this is significant because this man could have gone anywhere after he was healed, but instead he turned to God. This man had been stuck by the water for 38 years. If you were stuck by the water for 38 years, wouldn't you be daydreaming where you would go if you were if you were better? In your daydream, would you think, man, I just really can't wait to go to a church service. But Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, what an impossible thing for Jesus to say to this man. Why did Jesus say that? Well, I think this is a lesson for all all of us need to hear. Um, God desires holiness from us. Once we have been redeemed, God desires for us to, to seek him first and to walk in his ways. However, we're usually more interested in healing than we are holiness. And I don't want to sound negative, but most of us will die with affliction. Some of the the most godly people I I had the pleasure of knowing died with some form of cancer. They loved God, but God didn't heal them. Why? Is it because he doesn't exist? No. Is Is it because they didn't have enough faith? No. God is more interested in our holiness than our healing. This story of Jesus healing the, par- healing the paralytic man, it was the exception, not the rule, at least for now. It's one of those rare times when God heals a person and then tells them to be holy. This story serves as a foreshadowing of the things to come for all of us, a precursor of what God has in front of us, that we will all be healed completely one day. But for now, it's our duty to be holy The healing will come in the second age when God takes away all sin and suffering. Now, I've concluded in my heart, I'm going to believe in Jesus and serve God whether I'm healed or not. And for now, it's my job to seek holiness more than I seek healing. Something that can be accomplished only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Each of us has to take our eyes off of the distraction in the story. The, the, the main point is not the angel that came down and stirred the water. It's not the pool of Bethesda. The story is not beautiful because somebody was healed. The story is beautiful because Jesus is in it. And we have to take our eyes off the pool and put it on Jesus. Now, as I said, every good story has five elements. A character setting, plot, conflict of some sort, and resolution. Jesus knows our story, and he knows our conflict. And even though he doesn't bring resolution the way that we would like all the time, he does bring us a resolution. And he even gives us something better than what we ask for. He brings our story into his, which incidentally is the best story that was ever told. 
Every great story makes an impact on the lives of others, especially the story of Jesus. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Um, Several months ago, I fell into a deep depression. And um, I began thinking things that I shouldn't be thinking. And I I felt like a complete total failure because I'm a pastor of a church. And I absolutely should not be struggling with things like depression. Because how am I going to tell somebody, you know, if you really want joy, then you you just turn to Jesus Christ whenever I'm suffering with, with depression. A lack of joy in my heart and in my life. Now, I've been going to counseling to get help, and what I've learned about depression since I've been going to counseling is that it, it, it usually has something to do with a violation of the greatest commandments in some way. Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, love yourself. And in my opinion, depression happens when you're, you're either not in the right relationship with God, which wasn't the case for me, uh, you're not in the right relationship with others, which, again, wasn't the case for me, or, or you're not in the right relationship with yourself. And, and you might you not be in the right relationship with God, others, and yourself all at the same time. But for me, what I discovered is, is that I didn't have the right relationship within myself. In short, I, I wasn't taking care of myself. And, and this was more than I was just trying to do too much. I, I literally was not taking care of myself physically. And uh, my dad always has a saying... Um, you know, I've heard it since I was a little kid. He said, I'd rather wear out than rust out. And essentially what that means is, is that I'd rather do too much than nothing at all. And you might have noticed a change in me over the last few months because I, I was always rust, uh, wearing out instead of rusting out. And um, I've been, I, I, in the past, I've been a lot more active doing stuff than I have been recently. And I, I've been taking care of me, essentially. And while taking care of yourself isn't a bad thing, I can't help but feel like I've been living by the saying that nice guys finish last. In other words, I've been doing only what was best for me. And I, I can't help but feel ashamed. Maybe, maybe God's moving me towards maturity and I still don't have my feet underneath me for this. But this is my take on the story that we read today and you can take it or leave it. Take your own interpretation if you like. But Jesus didn't heal everyone around the pool of Bethesda, I think, because he was leaving opportunity for those who were seeking holiness above healing. There will always be situations where people are abandoned and are in dire straits. All we have to do is look around. My family and I will be um, visiting one such place Sunday afternoon from now on. Um, because of the recent hurricanes, we have places all around us where many people have lost everything and desperately need help. And in, in face of this disaster, I confess I did very little. And maybe it was just because I was trying to take care of me, because nice, fi- nice guys finish last, and I don't want to get taken advantage of, and I don't want to finish last. But you know, something happened um, this week that absolutely broke my heart. Uh, I went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We sat down, we prayed. And before I went home, I decided, you know, I'm just going to stop in and see how the youth are doing. And so I, I stopped in and talked with Mark and Lisa. I want to check in on him. And Lisa told me that there was a, a young boy that came up to the church for the children's service. But because we're not having a children's program and we don't have the leadership, they had to send him home. And why would they send him home? Well, Mark and Lisa had 50 junior high students junior high and high school students. And there's, you know, there's no way that they could minister to all the students at once. And so 
we didn't have a program for them, and they couldn't do it, so they sent them home. Thursday, I was studying my Bible in Mark 9, and I ran across a passage where Jesus says, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. Taking a child, he set them before he set the child before his disciples, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. And as I read that verse, it sat on my heart. And I'll tell you why it bothers me so much. It bothers me because Jesus could easily say to me, You know, John, I came to your church, but you didn't receive me. And I can't respond. Well, Jesus, I was trying to take care of me. I didn't want to finish last. The last will be first in the kingdom of God. In the story of the, of the man who, who was paralyzed, the last seemed to be the only one that mattered to Jesus. Jesus took harsh criticism for the Jews for working on the Sabbath. He told them, you know what? My father is working until now, and I myself am working. This week I've been asking myself the question, God is at work around me. What am I doing? Am I just trying to take care of me? Because the first will be last, but the last will be first. We as a church have been talking about how we need revival. It's something we've been talking about in all our leadership discussions. We need a revival. We know. We know we need revival. But this is especially true for me as the pastor. I need to help lead the church to revival. I need to be on fire for God and passionate about His work. But let me ask you, where do you think the spirit of revival is found? Contrary to popular belief, the spirit of revival is not found in a week-long church service. The spirit of revival is found around the pool of Bethesda. It's found where most people don't want to be. It's found doing what God is doing. He's at work around us. Are we working with him? God's working all around us. He's working in us. He's bringing resolution to our conflict. And make no mistake, God brings resolution to our story so that our story can impact the lives of others. There's just one last thing I'd like to say before I close. Jesus tells us the first will be last and the last will be first. But in the kingdom of God, that's the way it works. Well, if nice guys really do finish last, just imagine where the person who is on fire for God will finish. Brothers and sisters, time is a valuable gift of God. Are we really making the most of it? Or are we just trying not to finish last? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.